Welcome back to another episode of the Sexmancers Podcast. I just want to provide you a programming note up front here is that some episodes going forward are going to open with a voice that you will be unfamiliar with, at least in the beginning. And that is because in order to be able to provide you some comedy relief before I get into a particular topic, I'm going to play clips from a show I used to watch a while ago. It wasn't really a show about relationships, but it did provide some relationship advice, sort of. It was a comedy show. And so I thought in order to provide you some more entertainment value and some laughs up front, I would play a short clip in the intro of the show. And then also, if I cover more than one topic and it matches up with something of the show, then you might hear it being played as a segue to that particular topic. All right, let me know whether or not you like this. If you don't like it and you think it's a bad idea, please give me that feedback. All right, so let's go ahead and get into today's episode. One of the differences between men and women is that men will sell anything. Their parents' house, their kids' report card, their body fluids. Men tend to put everything into financial terms. A woman will say, wow, that's beautiful. Whereas a man will say, wow, what did that set you back? Most guys would rather make big bucks doing something they hate than make a comfortable living doing something they love. It's not smart or correct, but it's one of the things that makes us what we are. That's right. On this episode, I'm going to be talking a little bit on the first half of this episode about workaholism, about the tendency of a lot of guys out there to pretty much ignore their family, their spouse, their kids, and put all of their effort, time, and attention into their work, or more specifically, into the process of making as much money as possible to the detriment of their family in some cases. You know, there are some guys out there for whatever reason, and I'll cover some of those reasons uh, up front here on the show, but they will go off and they will engage in workaholism and just bust their butts. They're always out there wanting to be able to say, hey, if I just work harder, if I work harder, I'll be able to provide for my family. If I work harder, I'll be able to meet or reach all of my financial goals. Now, some of the work that they do may actually go towards reaching those financial goals and providing for their family. But that is not always the case, is it? You, you and I know that there are guys out there who work, work, and work and don't really have a whole lot to show for it financially because what they are doing is not working financially, and yet they keep at it. They feel the desperate need to continue on along that path to just say, hey, eventually the break's going to happen. If I just keep at it, the break's going to happen. If I quit now, I'm going to quit just before everything takes off and all of my financial dreams and financial goals that would have been fulfilled will be left unfulfilled. Now, some of this stems from the basics of society, societal pressures, because think about it, right or wrong, society puts the pressure on men to be the providers for the family. This started off in much of ancient times of men being the hunters, the ones who go out, kill something and drag it home to be cooked and eaten that men were the ones who were supposed to be predominantly in charge of the survival of the family. Now, it's true that traditionally that also meant that the role of women was to be the homemaker, the one who raises the kids, cleans the home, and cooks the food that the men drag home. Now, luckily, though, we have evolved beyond those stereotypical gender roles, and men and women are both out there in the workforce earning incomes, and they're both sharing in the responsibility of house chores, cooking, and raising the kids. However, psychologically, men may not have gotten past 
that societal pressure, the ego that they are to be the ones to provide for the family. And, and instead of this translating into going out and being hunters and going out and hunting, this is in the prospect of being the providers financially. Now, long after we got past the whole hunting and gathering portion of our development as a race, and we started developing economies, workforces, especially here in the United States. When that happened, while how men provided for the family changed, and, and it didn't really change so much for women uh, for quite a long time, while how we provided for the family changed, the pressure on men to provide for the family didn't change. And a lot of that also involved uh, what was being handed down from fathers to sons. You know, sons were being raised with the expectation of, hey, when you're an adult, when you get married, you're going to be the breadwinner. You're going to be the one that needs to provide for the family. There's a lot of emphasis on guys growing up around the area of finances. I don't know what the expectation or pressures are on women uh, in the area of being the financial provider growing up. I know that that has probably changed and become more equalized, but men have a much different uh, experience being raised than women. And of course, you know, some of that is biological, you know, puberty, women have a much different experience with puberty than what men do. But when it comes down to it, you know, what are men's experience growing up? Well, some of that is kind of dependent on the father, but it's usually around certain key areas, learning how to use tools and work with your hands to build and fix things, being, um, about finances and going through and talking about the you know working hard, saving money, and being able to talk a little bit about investments. And so with all of that growing up, it's no wonder that a man has a focus on money over happiness when he gets older. Now, luckily, we have found out that money and happiness are not exclusive. You know, you, you don't have to sacrifice happiness for money in all situations. Unfortunately, not everyone has the opportunity to be able to make money off of what makes them happy. And with the societal pressures on the line, even though you could probably make enough money in order to be able to provide for your family doing what you love, the pressure to try and make even more money is immense. And some of that also comes from uh, women out there who expect the man to be able to provide for them because while they initially have career aspirations at the beginning of their relationship, once they start having kids, women can have a change in their focus. There's a lot of women out there that want to be able to become stay-at-home moms to spend time with their kids. Maybe also some of that is because they realize, hey, the workforce sucks. It's a soul-sucking experience. You know, I kind of joke about this a little bit, but women, what were you thinking with the equality, you know, with the work equality movement? I mean, let's face it, for decades, you had the better end of the relationship deal. You got to stay home. Sure, you did some cleaning, but let's face it, once you got the house clean, maintaining a clean house was not really all that difficult. And since the guy worked most of the day and the kids were at school most of the day, you really only had one meal to cook a day. You got to spend most of your time just being able to hang out with the other wives, just having fun, talking, playing games. I don't know, maybe you got bored, but let's face it here. Can you honestly, for the vast majority of you, take a look at your career and say this is much better than staying home? <laughs> you know, I know, I know, I know. 
some of some liberal women out there are going to go off and get so upset about that. And, you know, let's face it, I am half joking about that, but I wouldn't mind if women took over the world and took over the workforce and let us men stay home all day. You know, I wouldn't mind, you know, being the one to play with the kids, do, you know, clean the house up a little, cook one meal a day and have the rest of the day to, while you're at work and the kids are at school, to be able to just hang out with my friends, go to the park, play basketball or board games, or just sit around with a couple of beers around a campfire most of the day. I would not mind that. Please have the women take over all business and exclude men from the workforce and say, we have to stay home and let you women take care of us. Please. You know, I'll be the first one to sign up for that deal. But getting back into a more serious nature here, you know, men, you know, will go off and because of the societal pressures, will sacrifice happiness in order to provide for the family. You know, when the kids start coming around, that puts even more financial pressure. Hey, we need to make sure we give the kids all the advantages. We need to make sure that we save up for their future, be able to provide them with the educational opportunities, make sure that they're able to enjoy a childhood, you know, being able to afford to take vacations with them, to be able to go through and have them go to adventure land or adventure parks, you know, Six Flags, that type of thing. Make sure that we're able to keep food on the table for increasing number of family members along with clothing. Oh my God, how much you end up constantly buying clothes because they grow like weeds. So there's always a whole lot of societal pressure based off of that. And it gets so bad that there are men who will go out there, put in, you know, uh, 40 to, well, 40 hours is a standard work week, but up to 60, 70 hours a week at their employer, you know, cashing in on all of that overtime. And then when they get home, they are trying to work on, develop and build up a side hustle in order to create another revenue stream. And then also going on beyond that, they start opening up, you know, uh, whatever stock market that they're involved in, whether that's with TD Ameritrade, Webull or Robinhood, and start going through and taking a look at all the things going on in the stock market, you know, what ITFs or what mutual funds are doing what, what stocks are expected to boom, which ones aren't. Maybe they're now taking a look at Reddit during this time. You know, they're going off and taking a look at all the cryptocurrency. And so they put in, what, 60, 70 hours a, uh, a week at their employer. They come home, they do another few hours of side hustle. And then on the weekend, you know, if they don't have anything else to do, they're taking a look at the stock market, what it did and what they are predicting will be the best things to invest in in the upcoming week. Whether, you know, that is day trading, swing trading, you know, chances are they're probably doing more swing trading or whether they're just pick out a few funds and then just constantly throw money into that along with a couple of cryptocurrencies. You know, maybe they're not putting in a whole lot of time on the stock market. They just have their strategy and it's just a matter of getting more money to pump in there. And with all of this going on, the one thing that is not happening is spending a lot of time with the family. You know, men spending time with their wives for more than just sex. You know, of course, you know, even with the most uh, avid workaholic, they'll always make sure to have enough time for a quickie a couple times a week with their spouse. And I'm sure the wives married to a workaholic are real excited about that quickie twice a week. And they almost end up with next to no relationship with their kids. And it's really sad. And this happens more often than we'd like to admit. 
And unfortunately, there are some people that take a look at this and they cheer it on. Man, that's a very responsible husband, focusing on being able to be the financial provider for their family. Oh man, it is, you know, he's sacrificing his own happiness. You know, yes, he is sacrificing time with his kids that he'll never get back, but he's doing it in order to be a good provider, to provide for the life for his kids that he was unable to have himself. But is that really something that we should be cheering on? Is that really something that we think is really admirable in society? I mean, wouldn't it be better if, you know, the guy were to sacrifice a little bit of income in order to have more family time? I think the answer would be yes. But I think also the answer to this problem of workaholic behavior is to try and figure out the real underlining issue that's causing the workaholism. And I would say part of the problem is he's going around without an actual plan. He's going around trying to go around the Monopoly board so many times, he's forgotten why he's going around the Monopoly board. There's absolutely no aim, no end game in mind. There's not a plan. He's just out there trying to make as much money as possible for the sake of making as much money as possible. He may not even be understanding why it is he's feeling compelled or feeling pressured to go through and try to rack up as much money as he can. Now, maybe one of the issues here is he's just trying to keep up with a wife that likes to spend all the time, that no matter how much he works and no matter how much he makes, his wife manages to find a way to spend it all, every single paycheck. Now, that's probably not the case in 99% of the situations, but he may be feeling that. that. He may be feeling that, you know, there's just so much spending, so much going on, and he may not be having any time to go through and actually take a look at the finances, where you're actually at. You know, you go out there and you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing every single time. So you want to go through and you want to be able to have a conversation with him and being able to try and address the source or the cause of the workaholism. But when you do so, you got to be careful about how you approach it if you really want to fix the problem rather than just start an argument. You don't just go and get on his case and go, you work too much. You always ignore us. You're neglecting me. You need to pay more attention. The, the two not start off that way. Not if you actually want to have a productive conversation, because if you start off that way, guess what? All you're going to do is cause a fight. Okay. So the first thing, the very first step isn't even the conversation step into trying to address the workaholism and getting him to ease up and spend more time with the family. It's not, you know, Hey honey, we need to talk. That's not the first step. So if that's not the first step, what is the first step? Well, it's about you getting a sense picture and information on what your household finances are. It's data recovery. It is information seeking on your part, because this will be helpful in you having a productive conversation that's going to be happening in the later steps. So the first thing you need to do is start taking a look at what your household income is. You know, go through the last six months or even the last 12 months, go through there and try and figure out what your income is on average, how much money is coming into the household. Now, if he just works for an employer and he doesn't, and he's putting in 70 hours of work week there, and then when he comes home, he just kind of goes straight to bed, watches a show and goes straight to bed and doesn't do a side hustle at home. Or maybe instead of a side hustle, it's just work and investment. All right. It, this gets a lot easier. You don't need as much time frame in order to try and figure this out. So just try and figure out what your income is. 
on average, and then start putting together a budget off of that. You know, here's how much the mortgage is or the rent is. Here's how much we are spending on groceries. Here's how much the utilities are. Here's how much we have to spend on clothing. You know, your basic necessity, you know, which is food, utilities, shelter, clothing, transportation. Figure out how much you are spending on those areas each and every month. And then also start going through and start putting together a full budget. You know, how much you're putting into savings each month. Uh, how, you know, you just get a full, here's everything we spend money on, or at least the categories of what we spend money on each and every month and try to get a sense of how much you're spending. You know, if you need help, you can take a look at Dave Ramsey, uh, DaveRamsey.com to get some information on how to do a budget and being able to take a look at everything that you need to do, including taking a look at if you do any charitable giving. So you got your income and you start taking a look at your expenses. And part of your expenses is also taking a look at your debt. How much debt does your household have? You know, not just the mortgage, but credit cards, personal loans, student loans, car loans. Take a look at that. And then you could try and see whether or not you can find a financial tool that will help you calculate uh, what's called a debt snowball, where you can list the debt from lowest uh, amount to highest amount. And when I say lowest amount to highest amount, I'm not talking about the monthly payment. I'm talking about the balance of the debt. You know, And again, you can go to DaveRamsey.com to figure out how the debt snowball works and then to be able to try and calculate in there. So you got the budget, you now start listing the debts from lowest balance to highest balance. And based off of the budget, how much money that you think you can put towards the debt and see how long it will take you to get debt free based off of that. And then from there, you start taking a look at what your investment accounts are doing. You know, what's going on with your retirement accounts? What are going on uh, with your non-retirement investment accounts as well? I mean, this could be mutual funds, ITFs, stocks, bonds, cryptocurrencies. Basically, you want to get an idea of your entire financial picture here. And you may be surprised. Maybe his workaholism is as a result of you're just barely scraping by each and every month. You know, between, you know, the regular monthly expenses and the debt that you have, maybe there is almost nothing left over and all his work is just basically to break even. Or maybe he's even losing a little bit of ground every single month, depending on if you're continuing to spend and charge things to a credit card. All right. So maybe there's a reason why he's engaged in workaholism, and in which case, if you need to start thinking about what you can do to help contributing towards getting out of debt, which can be hard because maybe you're also working full time. And then you can take a look at whether or not you can put in overtime hours, but that might be difficult depending on the age of the kid. Right. And because if your kids are young, you know, maybe the daycare won't be open long enough for you to put in extra hours. Then in which case, maybe you could take a look at family. You know, a family is able to help out, you know, a family member who can go and pick up your kids from daycare and, you know, watch over them while you're putting in overtime hours. And then you just swing by, pick them up on your way home. Maybe that is something that you can do. Or maybe there is a side hustle that you can do that has next to no startup expense, but can bring in a little extra revenue to help alleviate some of the financial pressures. I mean, there are a lot of things that you can do. And it all works. It just depends on whether or not it works for you. But then there's also the possibility of the other situation. You take a look at your entire financial picture 
and you realize you're doing very, very well, you know, that he doesn't need to be working nearly the amount of hours that he is in order to be able to provide for the family and also be able to save up a ton of money for your retirement, to have a debt-free retirement and not be reliant on a social security check. You know, you, you may find that out as well. But the issue is he's so busy going 100 miles an hour that he's never actually taken a look at where he stands financially. He may be thinking that he's just barely scraping by month to month and doesn't realize that, hey, you got a lot of ex excess money going on. You're making far more money than you need in order to accomplish all of your financial goals. He just never took the time to sit down and figure that out and take a look at the entire financial picture there. Okay. So now once you got all of this information together and you're going to make the first approach to him, remember this is to try and combat workaholism in order to get him to spend more time with you. All right. Don't just all of a sudden open up the conversation with, I've been doing some research in our finances and then drop everything in front of him and say, you don't need to work as much as you do. No, 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 no. That, 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 that is not how you open up the conversation, right? You don't want him to start getting defensive, right? And, you know, just going off and starting off with the conversation, basically trying to say, you're an idiot, you're ignoring us for nothing is probably not the best way to get everything going here, right? So what do you do when you first approach him? Don't bring anything that you just researched to this first conversation because this first conversation is not to show him what you have found out, but it's more about information gathering. Think about it as reconnaissance, right? That you're some sort of spy and you're trying to get information out of someone without them knowing that you're getting information out of them. You know, the old secret spy, right? Okay, so how do you go about that? Well, you just start going through and trying to get a conversation uh, the first moment that you can that he has free. And then you just start asking him some questions, uh, you know, such as, hey, you know, where do you see us in 10 years? You know, what are our goals financially and for the family? You know, you're just trying to get him to open up here about what is the financial goal, you know, and what is his goals for how he wants to raise the family, you know, getting him to start dreaming about the future and opening up because maybe he has something you know, planned here. Maybe he's going off and working so hard now because his financial plan is that he wants to be able to retire by 50 or maybe at 45. You know, he wants to be able to go through and rack up so much money that he can retire a decade earlier or 15 years earlier than the regular retirement age. He wants to be able to do that and then have the money to live off of in order to accomplish that goal. Hey, Maybe that's been his plan all along. He just hasn't been communicating that to you, probably because, you know, don't ask, don't tell, right? You know, you never asked. And so he's going off on one financial plan. You're going off on another financial plan. And neither one of you is communicating about that, you know, or you may find out that he is just clueless about your current financial situation and that he is already exceeding his own goals financially. All right. So you just start trying to get some information out of him about what the goal is, whether there is an end goal, you know, where he sees or sees you, um, whether or not those goals are, well, reasonable, or whether the goals uh, financially are worth the sacrifice that he is making in terms of time with the family. You know, maybe it's also because 
maybe you're renting and he's working all these extra hours so that he can pay cash for a home, in which case at that point he feels like he can let off the gas pedal a little bit because now you have cut out a house payment or a rent payment. And so you've just cleared up a whole lot of money that eases a whole lot of pressure. I mean, you got to start just going through and getting information here about what he believes is the goal for the family financially, as well as time together. Now, here's where you take that information, you know, with the goals in mind that, you know, the information that you've gathered about your finances, along with the information about, you know, what his financial goals are as to why he's working so hard. And then you start putting the information together going, okay, this is his goal based off of our current income, monthly expenses and debt. You know, this is how long it will take us in order to reach that goal of being uh, debt free with a paid for house. Let's just say that is the goal. You know, how long is it going to take us to get there based off of that? All right. And so now you're trying to crunch the numbers to see how well you're doing in comparison with that goal. Are you meeting it? Are you exceeding it? Are you behind and you're not reaching it? You know, uh, this can all open up and you start putting all this information together. Now, once you have that all together, what your finances are like, what his goals are, and then you put the two together to see where you're at and all of that, that's when, with all this information, now you start talking about him not spending enough time with the family. If he is working, you know, the whole 60, 70 hours uh, every week. And with the information, especially if his current work activity is generating so much income that he is vastly exceeding those goals, then that really helps in this conversation to be able to go through and go, hey, look at this. You know, this is what you said you're working towards. I've taken a look at our finances. You're already exceeding our goals. Do you think maybe because you're already ahead of your goals that you can spend some more uh, time with us here at the family, you know, take a little, you know, work a little bit less you can spend time with the family, relax a little bit more, and you'll still exceed your t financial target. Hey, isn't that a great conversation? So now he really doesn't have an excuse to continue on with the workaholism because you've shown him that he can reduce this amount of hours per week from what he's currently working and still meet or exceed the goals he told you was the goals of why he was working so hard. And that makes it a lot easier in the conversation, a much easier conversation to have and being able to convince him not to work so much and to be able to spend more time with the family, all right? Now, of course, you can go through and have the conversation, well, what if I put all of this information together and I find out we're not meeting those goals? Well, then with all that information, you can start taking a look at whether or not those goals are reasonable, and then you can start approaching him based off of that and go, hey, you know what? I know you said this is your goal, and I've been going over our finances, and I know why you're working so hard. It's so that you can meet these goals. And then you can start having the conversation as to whether the goals are reasonable to begin with or whether that target is the actual target you need for him to be a good provider. You know, maybe based off of his current level, he may not be reaching what his stated goals are, but it is enough to more than meet your financial need and more than enough to meet what you will need at retirement in order to be able to live comfortably at retirement. And maybe you also find out that he can still take 
a few more hours or work a few hours less every week to spend more time with the family and still, while not meeting what he said his goals were, but still be able to meet or exceed what will be needed financially for the family going into the future and the long-term retirement goals. So you can start really going through and having that conversation and then start having the conversation about the trade-off. Hey, you're working all these hours. You're not getting there. So let's say we get to retirement. Now you're retired. You're no longer working. You know, you're finally in, able to enjoy all this time off, but now you have, but now you find out that you don't really have much of a relationship with your kids and you know, we have become strangers. Would that be worth it to you? Don't accuse him of that's what he's doing, but just ask him, would it be worth it? You know, putting in all these extra hours to exceed what you need financially if it means not being there for the kids growing up, missing out on all the important stuff. You know, just kind of ask him the question about that. Now, as you do that, yes, there is a chance he can get defensive and feel like he's being attacked. So you got to be careful about the tone that you use, as well as your facial expression and body language. But you got to start having that conversation and then going through, like I said, the more you know about what his financial goals are and where you are financially, the easier this conversation is to have. And then maybe go off and reassure him, hey, you know, if we don't live, you know, as millionaires at retirement, that's okay that you cherish more time with him and that the kids will cherish more time with him than they will uh, having, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, and uh, finances at retirement. You know, so you got to start going through and realize that workaholism usually has a root cause and the root cause is generally financial insecurity. And maybe that financial insecurity just maybe because of, well, it could be the result of how they grew up and wanting desperately to provide for a better life for you and the kids than what he had growing up to be able to provide for all the opportunities that he may not have had or didn't come as easily to him because of the financial situation in which he came from. But it could also be financial security because he doesn't actually know what your finances look like. He hasn't gone through, done the books, taken a look at budget, taken a look at any of that. He's just going off stuffing money all over the place, you know, uh, in investments and bank accounts and, you know, writing checks and spending the money that he's not really doing, you know, the big picture here and taking a look at where your finances is. And so he's working all the time, not realizing that you're already pretty well off. You know, uh, the more information that you have, the easier the conversation will be. And also the easier it's going to be to be able to convince him to work a little bit less and spend time with the family a little bit more. Okay, and with that said, let's go ahead and get into the second topic for today's show. One of the differences between men and women is that men feel they have to dominate things. It's not enough to enjoy nature or a job or even a conversation. Man has to dominate. I think that's why we eat so much meat. I mean, there's domination for you. Man against animal, who's going to eat who? Most men think vegetarian is an Indian word meaning lousy hunter. It's not smart or correct, but it's one of the things that makes us what we are. When we go ahead and we talk about domination, this could take on several different forms. There are many different ways in which we could talk about how men want to dominate. Some good, some bad. I, and hey, as we are talking about domination here, this could also be an explanation for workaholism. 
wanting to dominate in the career. The, the whole workaholism may not even be about your personal finances or the feeling or pressure to be able to provide financially for the family. It may be an overcompetitive spirit, the desire to dominate in their profession, to reach the very, very top, to have a goal of one day being the CEO, the top dog in the company, being able to dominate over the company itself, the employees, the direction, the vision, all of that. Or maybe it's about becoming chairman of the board, something like that. It could be just an overly competitive desire to be at the very top of their profession. And given the work-life balance, or at least the pressures uh, from the company and work, if you want to be able to reach the top, you got to be willing to make a lot of sacrifices in your life giving up pretty much a personal life and a lot of time with your family in order to be able to reach that very top. I mean, when you take a look at a lot of CEOs, they are very busy. They make a lot of sacrifices in their life, especially sacrifices uh, regarding family time in order to be able to get to where they're going. Now, if that is the case here, as far as the workaholism, you're going to need to have a completely different approach as to how you address that. And you'll find out about whether or not that is the actual motivation when you start taking a look at where he sees himself. If he goes off and he talks about seeing himself in 10 years as, you know, uh, in financial terms, being able to provide for the family, then you know it's more about the finances that is causing workaholism. But if he talks about it in terms of where he sees himself in his career, you know, that he plans to reach this level of management, you know, whether that is upper management, C-level executive, or whether or not his 10-year goal is that he will achieve and become the CEO of a company. That is very possible, and that can be part of the workaholism. And how you go about addressing that is a completely different conversation than how you go about addressing workaholism as it relates to finances. But at the same token, that may not be the driving force behind well, his desire to be dominant, to want to go off and dominate something. See, the desire to go off and be dominant or dominate in and of itself is neither a good thing or a bad thing. It depends on what he's trying to dominate and how he's going about th this particular type of domination. Trying to dominate in one's career is a lot different than, say, trying to be dominant or domineering in a relationship. One is probably good. The other, not so much. Of course, being dominated or being dominant in a relationship kind of also depends, you know, as far as whether that's good or bad on the partner. Does the partner, you know, spouse like to be dominated or not, or only likes to be dominated in certain scenarios and not so much in other scenarios? It really kind of depends on the mix of personalities here. But domination, in some respect, is linked to having a competitive spirit, a desire to win at something. Now, what that is will determine whether or not it's toxic or good. But sometimes it's not even about a competitive spirit or a desire to win, and it's not necessarily about a career itself. It could be the symptom of a much deeper psychological issue, and maybe that is something that you'll have to be able to get to the bottom of. Sometimes, you know, a person who acts in a way that they need to dominate every situation and every aspect of life could just be the result of wanting to seek more control because they are feeling powerless in their own life. And for some men, feeling powerless is equated to feeling meaningless. 
Like there is just nothing to look forward to in life. Their life is without meaning. They have no control over anything that is going on or happening in their life. Now, that lack of control, well, it's kind of a mixed baggage here, isn't it? I mean, in one aspect, the result of your life is the result of your decision. But there are situations and scenarios where other people's decisions do impact your life to which you have no control over. And no, I'm not talking about the whole oppressed versus oppressor, critical race theory, or any of that other garbage or systemic racism keeping people down. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here about situations in which you are powerless because something bad is happening to you, not because of what you did, but because of what someone else did. This could be something as simple as uh, getting into a car accident. You did everything right. You did everything that you could, but you can't control the other driver and the other driver loses control of their vehicle or just wasn't paying attention and smacks into your vehicle. There is kind of a feeling of powerlessness there because there was nothing you could do to prevent that. Or there's another situation in a career. You're going along, you're working for a company, you're working hard, you're going off putting in uh, your time, dedication, and effort, but because of upper management or senior management, they make decisions, right, about the business. Sometimes they decide that, hey, you know what, we don't need as big of a workforce, and so they engage in layoffs. You did nothing wrong, but you had no power or control over the fact that you just lost your job. There was nothing that you could do to have changed that situation because it wasn't anything that you did or did wrong. It wasn't that you were performing. It's just some bean counter decided, hey, we need to cut expenses. Or maybe it's because the executive levels and the CEO made a bunch of bad decisions and the company just went bankrupt. Again, you feel powerless because there was nothing that you could do or have any control over. And so some of that, and which I'm just using as one of many examples, you know, when you feel like you are powerless in your own life, you feel the need to go out there, especially with men, and find something that you can dominate and have complete control over. And it's rooted in psychology, you know, that something had happened to them and they don't want to ever feel that powerless ever again, or they don't want to feel like they don't matter, that their life is meaningless, that if they died tomorrow, no one would notice. They don't like, men don't like that feeling. So some of the domineering activities and feelings could be a result of that specifically. Now, how you go about addressing deep-rooted psychological issues is very complicated, and you may need to talk to someone with a lot more expertise in psychology. Now, you can also take a look that, that there is another reason why having a plan whether that's a financial plan or a life plan or a goal, becomes so important. You know, because if you go off on the issue of feeling like you have no control over your life or that your life is meaningless, maybe part of that feeling that is causing you to want to overcorrect with a domineering attitude could just be because you have a lack of direction. You know, have no clear vision of where you are now and where you want to be. You know, you're just going around aimlessly letting life happen to you rather than taking control. And you're, and how you go about reacting to that can be toxic. And women, how you go off and react to your husband's reactions to this can determine whether he continues going in a bad direction or whether or not you can turn it around. You got to make sure that you understand whenever you're going off to want to talk about an issue or a problem in the relationship, you don't want to start off with some sort of tone or 
you know, um, statement that will make him feel like he's being attacked. That's not going to be productive for the conversation. But there's also the aspect of wanting to be dominant in the relationship. And this is where things get very toxic very fast, and it does become a bit of a psychological issue. They can't do anything or they feel powerless or helpless in their career and outside of the house, so they overcorrect, trying to feel like they have absolute control in the house, dominating over everybody else, including their spouse. And maybe that's why you're tuning in to this podcast to get answers and help about what to do. And really, it's about learning how to communicate in a way that will keep him from getting defensive and locking up and actually just share his emotions. And getting a guy to share his emotions is no easy task. But hey, women, you tend to have this special ability, the special ability where you tend to be able to know your husband better than he knows himself. I mean, it, it is uncanny how well women know the men in their life you know, the men that they love. It is just wow. But then there's the other form of domination, which whether it's good or bad is really just a personal preference for you. And that is domination in the bedroom. You know, some of you like the whole having the man be in complete control, dominating you, you know, where you just feel like you're there and he's the one taking the initiative, initiating everything. He's the one who is always going off and taking your clothes off and you're on the bottom and missionary or he's behind you while you're in doggy and you just go along for the ride, right? Right? You're just there taking every order, just going along with however he directs you. Now, for some of you, that's a huge turn on. You like being dominated in the bedroom. For others, you this kind of upsets you because you want to actually have the dominating personality and be the one who is in control. All right, so it, it is just kind of a personal preference, but if we go off of society and societal pressures, you know, there are issues um, with men who are constantly raised with the narrative that when it comes to the bedroom, it's up to them to be the dominant factor there. It's up to them to be the one who is in control, who is directing the positions, who is the one telling you what to do, you know, down on your knees, baby. You know, there's a lot of societal pressures on that. Just like I'm sure that if I had a female co-host, there would probably be a lot of conversation coming back at me about how women have, due to societal pressures, the idea or it being drummed into them that they must be submissive in the bedroom. And that even though they want to be more dominant in the bedroom, the societal uh, pressures and the upbringing and the messaging throughout especially the most uh, formative years makes it very hard to get out of that whole being trained to be submissive in the bedroom in order to become more domineering. Now, some of you, you don't have that problem whatsoever, do you? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of dominatrix out there, you know, who love it when the man is submissive to you, right? So, I mean, it all goes through and has that, you know, personal preference and whether that personal preference is based off of what really excites you or based off of what you were raised and indoctrinated to believe is the socially acceptable norm. Now, maybe some of the reasons why the social norms and all that is that men are to be the dominant ones in the bedroom. Some of it could be for very stupid reasons based off of the biology. Men 
you know, our biology just naturally presumes that we're going to be stronger than most women. And that may be the case. I mean, as in physical strength, uh, women, I think you got a very good argument that the process of giving birth means you have a much higher pain threshold than men. There is a good argument for that. But what I'm saying is actual physical strength lift, you know, and maybe that's where the societal norms of, you know, men are expected to be more domineering while women are more delicate flowers and that type of thing. Maybe that's where the societal issues of men are supposed to be more domineering in the bedroom and much forthcoming about their sexual desires and wants comes from. That could be, or it could just be because the idea that men are to be the dominant ones in the bedroom might be just looking from the standpoint of, here's what uh, your genitalia looks like, here's what my genitalia looks like, and then a complete lack of imagination. You know, the idea that, okay, because we're the ones that do the penetrating, then we should be the dominant ones. And because of the way everything's laid out, the lack of imagination would say, well, you're to be on bottom, therefore you're naturally the one to be dominated. So men need to be more dominant. You know, and that type of view just comes from a complete lack of imagination. Someone who just has no excitement and someone who would have be blah and boring in the bedroom, I'm sure. But that may, maybe that's where the societal norms are, the idea uh, of drilling into our heads, okay, you're the dominant, you're the submissive comes from. It may not be based off of chauvinistic or sexism. It could just be a simple lack of imagination. Who knows? And maybe there is a little bit of science behind it, you know, um, trying to go through and everyone may have different opinions about this, but, you know, what position is the best position to, you know, to have sex in, in order to better have a greater uh, success rate of getting pregnant? You know, when you're off and you're ready to have kids, you know, obviously, you know, as we take a look at it, women being on top during sex when a guy uh, gets off is not going to be the most productive position if the goal is to try and get pregnant and start a family. You know, gravity makes that probably not the best position. All right. So if we go through and we take a look, okay, you being on top is not the best uh, productive position. Well, then the debate becomes between, well, then what is the better position? Missionary? our doggy style, in order to best achieve conception when wanting to start a family. Well, there's probably some debate over that. And based off of what position is best in order to you know, get the best chances of success at pregnancy may also play a factor into the societal beliefs and norms as to who should and shouldn't be more dominant or domineering in the bedroom. Again, it could all just be from a lack of imagination and such. But even those who love to be dominated in the bedroom, let's say you enjoy, you know, having your man dominate you in the bedroom, being the one to take the initiative, always taking off your clothes, and you're not the one domineering him. Well, even in that situation, even those who love to be dominated in the bedroom, sometimes they want to be the ones to dominate the other and vice versa. The person who loves to be, you know, the dominant one sometimes wants to be dominated. And so there does have to be a little bit of a back and forth here, you know, switching off between, you know, who's going to be dominant uh, this time or that time, or maybe 
the who's dominating and who's being dominated switches throughout the, that one night, right? So you got to be willing to think about it like that. And you know what? As you dom as you dominate, you know, as uh, your man uh, acts in the bedroom, or as dominant as your man acts in the bedroom, uh, there are a lot of times when he wants to be able to lay back and just let you take control. Remember the last episode where I talked about you know, how great birthday sex is and the special request. And then I give you my epiphany that maybe one of the reasons why birthday sex just feels so much better is because I'm not the one doing the dominating. I'm just, you know, kind of laying back and just enjoying the ride with no expectation of performance, really, and being able to just have permission to be selfish that one day of the year in bed. And maybe that's why it just feels so much better. I mean, that's always uh, the option, you know, and so, you know, there are a lot of times when the person who is usually dominant in the bedroom wants to be dominated and you have to be able to step up during those times. You know, his dominant attitude in the bedroom just may also be a result of past sexual relation and or how you have acted throughout the entirety of the relationship. So, yes, I mean, we can talk about, you know, the societal norms, you know, the messagings that we get growing up. And then we take a look at the informative years. I mean, women, let's take a look at this. The first time you had sex, did you step up and be the one to take control, to take charge when you lost your virginity? Were you the domineering one or were you kind of more of the, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm scared. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to lay back and just let him do what he does. Let him just do, you know, take control, you know, control everything. And I'm just going to lay back and let him do everything. Okay. And then when you go off from that and you think about that, how long did it take you to work up the courage to be the one to initiate sex or to be the one to actually take control and get on top? For some of you, it may be you did that your first time, you know, and when you think about it, it probably would have made more sense for you to have been in uh, control a little bit more when you lost your virginity, because if you were on top, you would have been the one in complete control over the first initial entry, you know, instead of lying there and just trying to deal with the pain while he keeps trying to shove it in further and further and further, you know, and how gentle he was or wasn't, you know, and yet now you look back at that and realize that. You know, if your first time was kind of painful, it might have been less painful if you were the one on top controlling that initial entry. Yeah, the things we wish we would have known, right? <laughs> All right, but in reality, we go through and we take a look at this, you know, that, you know, there are a lot of women out there who tend to be very shy sexually, who don't have the self-confidence to speak up. And when you go through and maybe you can, well, you may never truly know, and it would be an awkward conversation to have. Hey, honey, can you tell me about all the women you slept with before you met me? Yeah, I'm not really sure that's a, a good conversation. I'm not very sure how honest he would be. A smart man would be just go off and say, yeah, they all sucked. You were the first good one. If, a, if the man is smart, that will be the answer, no matter what, because he doesn't want to end up on the couch. But in all reality, and you can take a look at this in your past relationships, you know, with the men that you had been with before your husband. You know, how long did it take you when you first started having sex to actually step up and start taking more initiative, being the one to initiate, being the one to take control? Have you ever done that? Maybe. 
Maybe not. But because you may have more confidence than what his previous partners did, you know, what happened? That first time you had sex, he took control and then he kept taking control. And then after a certain amount of time, because you realized that he expected that he would be in control, you just kept getting more and more submissive. And now it's kind of gotten awkward, right? If a lot of time has gone on, maybe it's gotten quite a bit awkward and now you don't know how you go about speaking up, but yet you really desire to take control. Well, he may be desiring that you take control, but past experience with the relationship so far and with the previous women that he had uh, sexual relations with before he met you may set up the expectation that he just believes that he's supposed to be in control because that's what every woman, including you, has signaled to him so far. Right? So you got to be able to examine how maybe your you know, past actions may have contributed uh, to his belief that he is supposed to be the dominant one in the bedroom, especially when you want to be the dominant one. And so what is the answer to all of it? What, what do you do in this situation? Your man always seems to be the one who wants to be the dominant one, but you want to take control or you want to have more say in the positions and everything instead of just going along with the flow? Well, the answer is real simple, just communication. You got to be willing to communicate about anything and everything that you are less than happy with in the relationship. That doesn't mean go off and just accuse them. Hey, you make me feel like crap or, hey, I'm not your sex slave or, hey, you're sucking as a husband because you're working all the time. I mean, that's not how you go about this. Now, women, what, what kind of <laughs> I find confusing here is how you go about speaking with your husband when it is uh, that you're frustrated and having a problem and how completely different it is than how you may speak to your girlfriends when you have problems. I mean, I mean there are some women who will just speak very nasty to their husband. You know, and yet they could be around a woman they completely hate, and then they'll pretend to be nice. They'll go through, um, get some backhanded jabs uh, under the radar, things like that. But women, you know how to communicate when you really, really want to get a result. So you, you got to learn to be able to communicate with your man, and you're able to speak freely and have free conversations with uh, with your girlfriends you know, your gal pal, and you can speak openly and as raunchy as you want with them. But then when it comes to the man in your life, you can't figure out how to, you know, speak and, you know, and be delicate with your speak. You know, I, I, I don't get it. Women, you're supposed to be the better communicators here. So yes, it's all about good communication, avoiding anything that would put them on the defensive but try to get to a conversation opening up and trying to get, and getting him to admit what he thinks and feels about his situation as well as describing what you think and feel about the situation. Communication is lubrication. Commun you know, this is why personal finances, you know, if a couple goes to a course or a class like Financial Peace University, they don't just learn about personal finances. They usually come away from a class like that talking about how much better their marriage is, their relationship is. Is it because the money itself made the relationship better? Or figuring out how to handle money made the relationship better? No, it's because in order to do those things and be on the same page with your household finances, it forced you to communicate. 
communicate with each other, communicate about your shared goals, communicate what you see for your future. So communication, don't be shy, especially if you're already married. If you're married to a guy, there should be nothing, nothing that you should be too shy to be able to talk to him about. There should be nothing that you're too nervous, too afraid to bring up in a conversation, especially when it's about expressing your desires in the relationship. Okay, so that's it uh, for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening in. If this is your first time listening to this episode, uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. It doesn't cost anything. It's just the same as you know, clicking follow. And I really think they need to change the subscribe button to just follow. I think that would make a lot more sense. All right, don't forget to leave me a rating and a review. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be back again soon.